0: His letter to the church he underpins the importance of faith but he also under underpins the importance of the understanding of the adoption into the family of God as a child of God and how as sons and daughters of God we are as Abram was as I mentioned briefly this morning heirs according to the promise and so that's what Paul talks about as he looks at this particular study uh, this particular piece of his letter that we're going to talk about uh, this evening so in the same manner then as Paul has outlined these two things uh, he also believes the, but outlined to the believers in Galatia that he recognizes underlying issues now let's be brutally honest about these things if we came to a church or we found a church that there were no issues there were no problems there were no queries, there were no questions, there is no, shall we say, underlying, unquiet disagreements. I would suggest we turn around and walk out of the door, because we will soon introduce one very, very quickly. They obviously are a harmonious bunch, and we have indeed found the perfect church. Now we know that these things don't exist. We know that as it stands, there are always, where you gather people together, there will always be difference of opinion, and there will be those, like me, that are always right, and there are those that... That aren't always right. But this is what Paul talks about. Paul looks at this church in Galatia and he sees how the importance of the development of faith is that we need to let go of these things that we hold on to. So, on screen will be our reading for this evening, and it's Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Let me, as ever, encourage you to use your own Bibles, but as I say, it will be uh, on screen. I'm reading from the uh, ESV uh, tonight, so I'll give you a few moments just to find Galatians chapter 4, and we'll commence at verse 8. So Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8 then says this, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak, uh, so how can you turn back uh, to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You see, you you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. I want to shut you out that you make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I am present with you, my little children, but for whom I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So, it's going well in Galatians, isn't it? from what we read, from what Paul says. Paul doesn't hold back in his terms of disapproving to have the Apostle Paul write about your church that he is perplexed about you. Where has it all gone wrong? Where has it all fallen to pieces? How have we got into the place that we are? But Paul has spent the opening chapters of, of our, this letter and he's done it breaking down the various intricacies of justification. Which, in summary, is the act of moving uh, from a person to a stage of sin to a stage of grace. You see, but also it's not just that. It's about where that person stands before God. Scripture itself would remind us that we are justified by faith. That's the message that Paul has been bringing to this church in Galatia at this particular time. You see, what Paul follows on with now is sharing his concerns as a result of the behaviour of the church in Galatia. But that behaviour was ritualism. You see, these were Jewish people. And we talked about this morning about how the Jews were uh, zealous for their genealogy and they were zealous to understand just where they came from. The Jews were people that liked ritual and tradition, and they liked doing things at certain times, and that's why Paul says you observe days and so on. And there's nothing wrong with that in principle as long as it is done with the right motive. You see, the idea for these, this church in Galatia, that their relationship with God was about ritual and tradition, was wrong. It was about Christ. In the same way that our relationship is not about ritual and tradition, it is about Christ, and what he achieved for us on the cross. You see, so that idea was seemingly lost on them. They regressed to what they had known before. as so all the lessons that Paul had taught the Galatians so far, every single one of them has been applicable to them and is applicable to us. And so we must ask ourselves honestly this evening, as we look through this sometimes uncomfortable letter to the church, are we guilty of the same thing? So Paul sets the scene in his usual straightforward Straight to the point, shoot from the hip language. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that, by their nature, are not gods. That's pretty straight talk, isn't it? You know, this is where you were. This is what you were like. This is what you were saved from. All summed up in one, summed up rather in one sentence. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. Paul makes it very clear to the level in which these people were so determined and bent to complete these traditions. And rightly so, for that time. For rightly so, for that time. But now we must understand that these Galatians are not to go back and do what they've always done. They are to look forward to what Christ wants them to do. You see, Paul makes his point very clear. They are in danger of succumbing to what Romans 1 verse 25 calls the exchanging of the truth about God for a lie and to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, that's what Paul's summary in Romans is of what the churches in Galatia were doing and other churches as we'll move on to as we go through these three books that we're going to look at. So the, the, these Galatians have run the risk and are, in fact, doing just that. They have exchanged the truth by God for a lie and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So as Paul challenges his Galatians, and as I have been challenged as I've prepared this over the recent days, are we guilty of doing the same Dare I suggest that to us, as we're about to break bread later on, that even the breaking of bread has become a ritual and a tradition. And I say that with no disparity whatsoever. But has it lost its meaning? We've done it so often. I mean, if we were to count the amount of times that single one of us has broken bread over our lifetime, we would come with some obscene number. But the fact is this, are we guilty of taking something that is fundamentally important, that is fundamentally about Christ, and guilty of making it a ritual or a tradition? So the Galatian church then, they were turning back to ritual, to circumcision, to holy days, and dates, and so on and so forth. They were ready to relinquish their relationship with God. Now please, don't get me wrong. I am not saying for one moment that the idea of having any form of date or any form of important event or any form of something of significance within a church that moves into something that we remember regularly is wrong. I'm not saying that by any way, shape or form. What I am saying is what's the motive for doing it? Why are we doing what we do? You see, in some cases the rituals are completed in a God-honoring way. And that's no bad, bad thing. Remember we talked and discussed this morning where the Jews were God's chosen nation. How were they identified? By circumcision. Circumcision, the idea of literally being cut off gives that painful picture of how the symbolism would be of Christ being cut off from the world, uh, from Christ on the cross. But what else does, does circumcision show? It's a painful picture of where not to put our trust, isn't it, gentlemen? I don't say that to be funny. I say it because it's true. That It's a very physical sign of separation. In the same way that the cross was a very physical sign of separation from God. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What went on when it was dark for three hours? I have. And I can't even begin to fathom it. There is a very physical sign of separation on the cross. You see, there are appropriate days and times when we remember what Christ has done for us. Easter being an example. We remember at Christmas how Christ came as a baby. There is nothing wrong with that. I no, don't think for one minute you're looking at me as the ginch and he doesn't like Easter and this is all ridiculous. I'm not saying that for that moment. But my point about all of this and take this away we are not worshipping the creature. We need to worship the Creator, and that's exactly what the Galatians got wrong. You see, verse 9 indicates that Paul wanted the Galatians to get the picture of their salvation, because the picture is painted very clearly. He says they are known by God. Now, I don't often say these things because I could get myself in trouble. We spend an entire evening dealing with just that sentence, to be known by God. That's incredible, isn't it? To be known by the God of what? The universe? The God of the physical? The God of the spiritual? The God who said, let there be light? The God who made the stars also? The God that gave us the very breath of life. The God who formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And the God who went to such lengths to restore a relationship that he was willing to sacrifice his son. That is the God that they are known by. And so we have this incredible picture. We are known by the God of heaven himself. Praise God for that. Just in that little sentence there's so much significance there's so much importance there's so much all oh, of just one simple sentence. So Paul charges them and us if we are known by this incredible creator God we have a relationship with this amazing son who was willing to go to the cross for us on our behalf. How can we go How can we, like the Galatians, be so ready to go back to what we used to do before? You see, the Galatians wanted to go back to ritual, tradition, to rules, and to law. Jesus has come to change all that, and we praise him for it. Because Paul does not want the church to fall into something that I need to touch on, but is not going to be a comfortable subject. It is the subject of legalism. And now if you're a leader of this church, this is perhaps time to sit up and get a little bit allergic and nervous. But not in the way that we're somehow going to point the finger. In a way that this is something that we, as a church, in its entirety, need to be aware of. Are we guilty, as a church, of being legalistic? when we really understand what legalism means, it gets into everything. The way we do things, why we do things, how we do things. Remember I said this is all about motive. We need to be aware of what legalism is. This idea that we have to somehow live by this system of law to make any spiritual progress. Friends, it's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. There is no room for legalism in the church. If we identify it, we need to eradicate it. I mean, I don't know how many of you are gardeners. I look on some of you that probably are. I'm not. But even I understand that there are a few things you don't put in the ground, like mint. See? perfect. Because it gets in everywhere and it breaks up and you've these things popping up all over the place. And you walk around your strawberries all of a sudden smell like a packet of wriggly spearmint. And you think, what's going on? And this is what legalism does. It gets in and it breaks up and it causes disruption. And this is what Paul was determined for the, for the Galatian church to stay away from that we would not get drawn into this idea of we must do this because, we must do X because, we must do Y because. Why, why, why because? No, it's not about that. There is no room for legalism in a church. We as a church are to follow Christ and what he wants us to do as a church. Not some idea of rules, ritual and tradition. You can tell that I'm a passionate person about this subject. Because this is the thing that gets in and it causes division. This is the thing that gets in and it causes splits. This is the thing that gets in and it fractures churches. And dare I suggest to you that this is one of the reasons why so many of our churches are for sale on right movers houses and flats and everything else. Because these things get in and they creep in and they cause major issues. Friends, if we get a sense of any description that legalism is creeping into this church, we need to deal with it. And that's exactly what Paul was encouraging these people to do. Not go back to try and earn some reward for following law from God's blessing. We get God's blessing because we live in a day of grace. And we live in a day of mercy. Not because we simply follow a list of rules and traditions. But I shall come for my soapbox and we shall carry on with the rest of galatians but i don't say that because it's a soapbox subject in mind i say it because it's important and for those of us that might be new to this church game it'd be so important to recognize that we need to follow what christ does we'll come onto that in depth in chapter five as they get there but if it's found eradicate it completely so then as we come down to verse uh, 12 we get a complete change of tact from Paul. Paul, now becomes, he's, he's delivered his lesson. Paul has picked the highlights of what's wrong. And now he says this, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. Paul is not boasting about his self-righteousness in that verse. He is not boasting about his own sense of importance or saying that you need to look at me because of who I am. Rather, he is saying, be like I am as a believer in Christ, someone who isn't bound by law and tradition. You see, Paul was once a man who was bound by law, ritual and tradition, as we considered briefly this morning. And now this evening, we get another glimpse at the delivered paul the great apostle as he must go and shape and change the church in the early days of his existence you see paul was a jew under law now the redeemed paul is a believer under grace and so he says be like me so paul goes on to paint this picture in romans 6 of what our salvation looks like and why it's important but he says this but thanks be to god that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness i am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members of slaves to impurity and to lawlessness needing to more lawlessness so now may present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things that you are now ashamed? For at the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and is end eternal life and then he sums up in what for many people will be familiar words for the wage of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Paul sums up what salvation means it's to that end that he entreats the Galatians to be like him he recognizes where he has come from he acknowledges that Christ has changed him and now he wants to push them on to the, to the to bring free from ritual as we move on down through the, the chapter i'm not really going to comment on verse 13 except to say this paul's ailment is largely unknown the galatians knew what it was but the important lesson for us is to not impede whatever physical we th- thing we may be going through to let it impede us sharing the gospel we've heard so many people who've been in hospital with cancer, and all sorts of illnesses, sharing their faith in Christ. It's a challenge for them, it was a challenge for Paul, and if the time comes, it will be a challenge for us as well. You see, these ailments, these things that people get from time to time, they can be challenges from God, even even when they are at the most brutal. And I know there have been some horrific stories of things that people have gone through in this church in this congregation, in this group that I sit here tonight. And I am not belittling them by any way, shape or form. But we need to realise that sometimes these things are challenges from God to give us opportunity, to give us a new reason to share our faith. In the, in the short time that we have left um, together, I just wanna focus on verse um, 15 and then perhaps off on a little wander around, but see my purpose. So verse 15 then, Paul issues a challenge. He asks this question, what has become of your blessedness? What has become of your blessedness? Or to put it another way, where is your joy gone? Where has your joy gone? You see, I want to end uh, with this uh, little bit tonight. It's, this is something that we can all struggle from from time to time. There's many reasons that our joy disappears. We get to a point where we don't stick close to God anymore and our joy goes. Or it could be simply the fact that we're just British and we don't like to express our joy because it's somehow going to upset people. All is well in the world if we all have a melancholy face. It's like our weather, isn't it? If it's mildly damp and a bit drizzly, all is well in the world. If it gets to above 25, oh, the whole shooting match falls apart, doesn't it? You know we can't cope. But there's a question to ask: Where has our joy gone? Joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. So where's it gone? Where has our joy gone? If we are in the case of the Galatians, have we lost our joy? Now you may all be incredibly joyful. You may be all incredibly good at hiding it. We may find ourselves that we're all in a happy place. But I don't believe that for a minute. Because life is hard. And life hurts. And we all face events in life that shake us and that shake the very core of our faith in God completely. Yet we are reminded that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So in those few moments we have... Together, can we turn and look at a book we don't look at very often? You might have to dust, blow the dust off the pages of this one. Let's go to the book of Habakkuk. As I look around, there'll be a few people thinking, Oh my, I haven't been here for a very long time. Where's that? Some of you were even looking at the index page, but that's fine. Can't remember exactly, I can't remember where it is. But let's look at the book of Habakkuk as we come to a close. So while you're digging that out, I'll set the background. Habakkuk enters the world as empires are changing. The Babylonians arrive on the scene. It seems that justice has disappeared from the land. And that Habakkuk is God's appointed man to bring the people back to him. The whole book is built around Habakkuk complaining. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Say this, O oh Lord: How long shall I cry to you for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me; strife and iniquity. Why do you idly look at ro- uh, to, sorry and contention arise? So the law is par- paralysed; so justice goes forth perverted. So Habakkuk paints this horrible picture of what life is like. And if you're sitting there wondering, how are we going to get joy at that sentence and that statement, then stick with me. But the fact is this, that book goes on to, how, uh, to answer how God unwraps this complaint. Because in verse 5 it says this, Look among the nations and see and one and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Friends, where is our joy? Even if we go back to this idea that we need to move away from ritual and tradition, we really need to answer the question, where is our blessedness? Friends, our joy is right there. That we look among the nations and we see and wonder and be astounded. Because we have a God who is doing a work in our days that we would not believe if we were told. That's where our joy is. Our joy is in our God. And yet Habakkuk, the complaining and the explaining goes on for two chapters until we reach chapter three, where Habakkuk does what every sensible person does. When they've gone to and fro with God, complaining and understanding and explaining, complaining and understanding and explaining, it gets to a point where Habakkuk does what every person does, and he realises that God is right. He comes to that point where he realises, if I'm going to find my joy, I need to take my eye off ritual. I need to take my eye off legalism. I need to take my eye off of rules and regulations and religion. And friends, I need to tuck my eyes and take them back to Christ. So, as we go into this week, let me leave you with this one final encouragement. Habakkuk finishes in chapter three with these words: chapter three and verse seventeen. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, the produce of the oil fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the field and there be no herd in the stalls let's put that in one simple word despair yet even in all that despair i will rejoice in the lord i will take joy in the god of my salvation god the lord is my strength he makes my feet like the deers he makes me tread on high places that is where I will leave you tonight quite how we've got from Galatians to Habakkuk friends only God knows but as we deal with this question that Paul asked the Galatians where is our blessedness our blessedness where is our joy it is not in rules rituals legal and tradition our joy is in Christ amen